0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Which book, and I want you to feel free to interact with me, please. Um, Pastor, is this on live stream? Yes, it is. I will try, if, if you ask a question or answer a question, try to speak in your loudest voice and I'll try to repeat your question and answer, okay? Okay, which book in the New Testament is a lot like the book of Daniel? Revelation. Revelation. In fact, uh, at Tabernacle, we teach the two books together, Daniel, Revelation. I think when Joyce went to Philadelphia College of the Bible years ago, I believe that they did it that way too, they used to talk about Dan Rev. So the books fit together hand in glove. Daniel is the Old Testament book of Revelation. Here's another question. Who, or which man, was more like Daniel than any other man in the Old Testament? Which man, or Bible character, was more like Daniel than any other man in the Old Testament? Oh, I appreciate it. Paul was a lot like, a, but I'm thinking of combining it not to the Old Testament. Old Testament. Yeah. Back, in the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament, yes, ma'am. Joseph. Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel, and they have some really wonderful tie-ins, but the, the one I was thinking of was Joseph, yes, Joseph. Um, can you think of some ways in which Joseph and Daniel were alike? Some similarities or parallels? Yes, ma'am. Very good. They both had to leave their home at a young age. Uh, in fact, from what we can tell, they were both teenagers. Thank you. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. They both refused not to deter themselves from following God. Right. They were steadfast in their, in their resolve in the midst of a heathen environment of temptations. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, they both had wonderful anointing from God to interpret dreams. That's a big parallel. And let me tie that in with, it was through their ability to interpret dreams that they rose the second in command in what were in their respective days the most powerful empires on earth. Very good. Can you think of some other parallels? Though so These are important ones. Yes, they were both falsely accused. In what way was Joseph falsely accused? Potiphar's wife. In what way was Daniel falsely accused? Yeah, yes, ma'am. that he would not obey the king, but he was obeying the king, but it was king. The king of heaven. Yeah. That's a good answer. In Daniel 6, there was a decree that nobody in the uh, Medo-Persian Empire uh, could pray or bring a petition to any man or God for 30 days except to Darius the Mede. And Daniel knowing that the decree was sealed, yet prayed to God three times a day, and then he was falsely accused by his enemies of being disloyal, but uh, God honored him. And um, the reason that the lions didn't eat Daniel is because they could find nothing but backbone. (laughs) Here's another question. Do all Old Testament scholars agree that Daniel wrote Daniel? No. No. <laughs> I don't know of any card-carrying liberal scholar who is respected among his fellow liberal scholars who believes that Daniel wrote Daniel or any part of it. If a man is a Bible-believing scholar, He believes that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But if he is an unbelieving, destructive higher critic, these people to a man do not believe that Daniel wrote Daniel. There are some amazing prophecies, like in Daniel 11, that were fulfilled In the next hundred years and go down to the days of the Maccabees and the cleansing and dedication of the temple connected with the feast of Hanukkah and they go down to the year 165 BC and so the liberals who don't like the idea that God could predict the future say that around the year 165 BC some unknown man living in Palestine wrote the book of Daniel, but wrote it as if Daniel, the prophet back in the sixth century wrote it. But they really weren't prophecies. The history had already taken place, and they're what the liberals call prophecies after the event. And so there's a great divide between conservative and liberal scholars on the authorship of Daniel. If you're a conservative scholar, you believe that Daniel, the statesman and prophet, wrote the book of Daniel, in the middle of the 6th century B.C. in Babylon and in in Babylon. If you are a liberal scholar, you believe he wrote it in Palestine in the 2nd century B.C., and we don't even know the name of the author, and he made it pretend that they were prophecies, but they were giving the prophecy after the history was already fulfilled. They call it prophecy after the event. And then they try to discredit the book of Daniel historically to show that uh, it could have been written by somebody in the 6th century B.C. because there were so many historical errors, and therefore it had to be written later by somebody who didn't know what was what. And so it's a very Bible-dishonoring view. And that's why Dr. Long said, in the introduction that one of the things we want to do in this class is show the historical accuracy and integrity of the book, that it uh, well represents the times in which it was written and uh, predicts future times too. Another question, in which two languages was the book of Daniel written? In which two languages was the book of Daniel written? Or maybe I could word it this way, in what three languages was the entire Bible written? In what three languages was the entire Bible written? Okay, Hebrew, Greek, Greek, Aramaic. I was especially looking for the Aramaic because I think most of us know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the vast majority of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. There are only four sections that were written or or passages that were in Aramaic. But the neat thing about Daniel is that half the book was written in Hebrew and the other half was written in Aramaic, which is a language that's like Hebrew. It's sort of like Spanish and Portuguese are different languages, but they're similar. Hebrew and Aramaic are similar. Now, Aramaic was the international language of the Middle East in Daniel's day, around 550 BC. But when you trace things down through history, in Palestine, in Jesus' day, the average person could no longer speak Hebrew. That knowledge was lost in the previous centuries. Only the scholars and priests could speak Hebrew in Jesus' day. The average person spoke Aramaic. The very language that Daniel was written in along with Hebrew was the language of our Lord as he walked and taught upon this earth. Uh, Aramaic in a little bit later developed form, but but the same language, which I think is neat. Now another question. What is your favorite verse in the book of Daniel? What is your favorite verse in the book of Daniel? Yes, John. One of them is, um, when he, when Daniel purposed himself he wouldn't himself. Yes, eight, yes, <laughs> yes. In fact, I hope to say a lot about Daniel 1.8 next Wednesday, Lord willing, a lot. Um, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat or with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. That's a great preaching text and teaching text. Uh, I like that verse. Any other verses pop in the mind? Oh, yes, yes, sir. I like uh, Daniel 12, three. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Thank you. Uh, for those in our live stream audience, that was Daniel 12, 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. That's a great verse. A lot of people think of that verse along the lines of Proverbs Eleven thirty, that he that winneth souls is wise. They like to tie those in, or I will make you fishers of men in Matthew four nineteen. But it's a great uh, soul winner's verse, and it's a great verse for uh, influencing people for the Lord. One old Puritan commentator said, speaking about shining the stars for the Lord, he said, "I believe those in heaven would give all of heaven and earth." if they could just have one more, well as he put it, if they could just have one more pearl added to their crown or we could say one more star added to their crown. Isn't that some thought? I wonder whether it works that way in reverse in hell. Do you think a person in hell would give all of heaven and earth to have one less sin to answer for, for all of eternity? And just think if he embraced Christ as personal Lord and Savior, He would have no sins to answer for and that all be forgiven forever and ever. What a tragedy it is for people to go to hell. There's only one way for a man to get out of hell. Only one. And that's never to go there in the first place (laughs) by accepting Jesus Christ as his own personal Lord and Savior, as the preachers say, before its everlasting too late. Any other verses pop out? Yes, ma'am. I like four. Um, chapter four, verse twenty-five the end. Yes, would you read that for us? When he says, until thou know that the most high God ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Thank you. 425, that thou mayest know that the most high God ruleth in the kingdom of men and give it to him give it it to whomsoever he will. Thank you any other verses that you like that just jump out at you the ones you picked are really good ones <laughs> well, chapter 317 and 18 i mean they go together though. yes would you would you read those uh, concerning shadrach meshach and abednego's testimony before the king yeah Thank you. Daniel 3, 17 and 18, um, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give their noble reply. And and, uh, notice those words in verse 18, but if not, even if God doesn't choose to deliver us, if we have to be cast into the burning, fiery furnace and he doesn't deliver us out of it. Uh, we're still going to do what's right and trust God, and uh, we're not going to bow to your image. Uh, they're, they're noble verses. I've asked you to think about some of your favorite verses because the more you think about it, the more rich and wonderful you'll realize that the book is. And uh, thank you for sharing those. Here's another question. I want to do a little Bible content matching with you. Uh, does does any... Does, uh, does everybody have the syllabi now? I think Dr. Long passed them out. Great. Um, I think the syllabi will help here. I have taken six chapters from Daniel, and I've put six chapter titles across from them. I want to see if you can match them. I believe one of the best ways of learning Bible content is to be able to grasp what's in each chapter and have a clear view of it. And uh, I think that that's a great way to learn what's in the Bible and where it's at. And so let's just have a little Bible quiz here. Uh, Which one of the six chapter headings goes with chapter three in our list? Okay, A, the burning fiery furnace. Uh, That would be our chapter title for chapter three. Very good. Which chapter title would go with chapter five of Daniel? F. F, the handwriting on the wall. Which one with chapter six? D. D. The Den of Lions. Which one would go with chapter eight? That's a little harder. C. Did somebody say uh, C? The ram and the he goat. Very good. And then, what about chapter nine? E. Yes, the 70 weeks prophecy. That's an amazing prophecy we want to spend quite a bit of time on. And then, what about chapter 12? E. E, Uh, either because you know it or by way of elimination, (laughs) Uh, but the 1,335 days. The tribulation lasts, the great tribulation The second half of Daniel's 70th week lasts 1260 days. But he says, blessed is he that cometh unto the 1335th day. What's that mean? Well, when we come to it, we'd like to talk about that a lot more. Here's an important question for the book of Daniel, question number seven. What are the times of the Gentiles? What are the times of the Gentiles? Jesus said in Luke 21 and uh, verse 24 that Jerusalem shall be trodden underfoot of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What are the times of the Gentiles? And how do they tie into the book of Daniel? Church 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 age will tie in here. That will tie in. We are in the times of the Gentiles right now and we're in the church age, so they tie in. Yes, ma'am? Start with Babylonian yes, yes. Daniel, the book of Daniel tells us that there will be four great world empires. Beginning with the first stage of the Babylonian captivity in 605 B.C., and ending with Armageddon at the end of the tribulation and the second coming of Christ, which in the words of John Phillips will bring the times of the Gentiles to a screeching halt. And so the times of the Gentiles go from the beginning of the Babylonian captivity to Armageddon, and the visible return of Jesus Christ on the white horse in power and great glory to defend Israel against all the armies of the world and to set up his kingdom. And the book of Daniel teaches that during these times of the Gentiles, and the church age will run parallel with them for a good portion. During these times of the Gentiles, there will be four great empires that will dominate world history. And by and large, you oppress the Jewish people. And Daniel has a lot to say about them. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. But there will be two forms of the Roman Empire. An ancient form when Christ came the first time. And a revived Roman Empire headed up by ten kings who give their support to Antichrist and they will be in power when Jesus Christ comes back the second time and deals with them. And these, that is these 10 kings of the revived Roman Empire who support Antichrist, these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful, Revelation 17, 14. Well, I wanted to just kind of stir your thinking a little bit by asking you some introductory questions, and uh, thanks for those great answers. Now, Roman number one in our outline under introduction, the man Daniel, the man Daniel. The name Daniel means God is my judge. We're about the middle of page one right now. His character and behavior show that he lived in the light of that fact. He knew that God was his judge. I think of another Daniel, a great statesman and orator in American history named Daniel Webster. He was at a dinner party and a man asked him, Mr. Webster, What is the most solemn thought ever to enter into your mind? And after thinking, Daniel Webster replied, my responsibility to my maker. To put this in New Testament dispensational language, we must live every day in the light of what it'll be like when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. His well done is heaven begun. Now, Daniel bridges the entire 70 years of the Babylonian captivity from roughly 605 to 536 BC. He lived all through that period and trained and ministered. Wow. We had a dear pastor at Tabernacle for eight years named uh, Pastor Mike Dudley. Pastor Dudley has recently accepted a position as assistant pastor about a little over a year ago and uh, principal of the Christian School at Victory Baptist in uh, Elizabeth City. And while I'm on that subject, Pastor Reggie Parker's dear son, Reggie, uh, is uh, very sick right now and has had surgery yesterday. So would appreciate you paying for uh, Pastor Reggie Parker's son, uh, Reggie, uh, dear, dear young man and uh, going through a lot of medical struggles right now. And um, our grandchildren's grandmother, is the sister of Pastor Parker at Elizabeth City, so it's kind of family. But Pastor Mike, when he was ministering at Tabernacle, made this statement in one of his sermons. He said, stand strong and do no wrong. Stand strong and do no wrong. And I thought about what Pastor Mike said, and I said, that reminds me of Daniel. I think that would be a good way of describing Daniel's character. Stand strong and do no wrong. Trying to get some people to commit to anything is like trying to nail Jello to the wall. <laughs> but Daniel stood strong and did no wrong. Harold Wilmington, in his Wilmington's Guide to the Bible, uses some nice alliteration, and I think it's very accurate. He says, Daniel was a man of purpose, prayer, And prophecy he will make a great study for us now Roman numeral two parallels between Joseph and Daniel there are some striking parallels between Joseph and Daniel they both had noble character and according to the biblical record there is no sin laid to their charge They were also carried away in their youth into captivity. And they, number three, were carried away to the most powerful nation on earth in their day. In Joseph's case, Egypt. In Daniel's case, Babylon. As was said before, they were both wrongly accused. They also rose to power by interpreting a dream. They became second in command. They honored God in a heathen court. Yes, sir. In a heathen court where both monarchs considered themselves to be deities. Good point, sir. And where there were a lot of temptations. Um, Who is the Lord? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go, said Pharaoh. And Nebuchadnezzar, in what was not one of his shining moments, took the prophecy about him being the head of gold too far and made a whole image 90 feet tall of gold and wanted all men to worship him through that image. He's a picture here of Antichrist, who will demand that all men worship his image in the Jewish temple or they won't be able to buy or sell in Revelation 13. So thank you, Pastor. That, that, that makes it all the harder. Um, they were in heathen courts where the emperors had, uh, where, they, where they thought of themselves as deity or close to it and um, uh, tremendous temptations. Can a man... be a successful businessman and keep his testimony. Not saying it's easy, but there is Nehemiah. Can a man be in politics and keep his testimony and honor God? Not saying it's easy, but there's Daniel. And they set a great example for us about how to remain true and separate it and still serve their king and there are people in an environment that's very difficult. And that goes into my next point, they served well their king. They also inspired their own Jewish people. And they served over many decades. And they died with their eyes wide open to the future of God's people Israel. So some neat parallels there, I think. Now, number three, Roman numeral three, Daniel is a great Old Testament book of prophecy. One writer said, Daniel is the introduction to New Testament prophecy. Such themes as the manifestation of the man of sin, the great tribulation, the return of the Lord, the two resurrections, And the judgments are found both in Daniel and in the New Testament. Daniel has more to say about the coming Antichrist than any other Old Testament writer. There are over 100 prophecies in chapter 11 alone that have already been fulfilled. J. Vernon McGee well says, the multi-metallic image, chapter two, the four beasts, chapter seven, and the 70 weeks of Daniel Chapter 9, I added this, I think, after the syllabus was done, so I'm not sure you have that in there. The multi-metallic image, chapter 2, the four beasts, chapter 7, and the 70 weeks of Daniel, chapter 9, form the backbone and ribs of Bible prophecy. Form the backbone and ribs of Bible prophecy. What Daniel teaches about the times of the Gentiles, and these four dominant world kingdoms, Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and what he teaches about the 70 weeks that are determined upon Israel become kind of like a skeleton or an outline where all the different parts of Bible prophecy can be fitted into, so that's kind of neat. Now, we have four great chapters in Daniel on what Jesus calls the times of the Gentiles. Chapter two, chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 11. Let me share a personal experience with you. I've had quite a pilgrimage, I believe, led of our Lord from an unchurched home, saved in the United Methodist Church, entering into Bible churches, uh, eventually Independent Baptist. Um, But in my journey, I was a Christian, um, feeling God was leading me into the ministry as a Christian teen, and I was still in the Methodist church. And uh, I was starting to study and read the Bible, but there was so much I was not exposed to. And then we had this big youth meeting, it was in Philadelphia, and one of the leaders among the youth group, his name was Harry. Harry brought, I was fascinated, I couldn't believe this was in the Bible, it was so amazing. He went through Daniel's image, the mighty metallic image, and he explained how the head of gold was Babylon and how they dominated world history from uh, roughly 605 to 539 BC. And then he talked about the Medo-Persian Empire that would succeed it and how it dominated history from 539 to 331 BC. And then the Grecian Empire, headed up by Alexander the Great, uh, the uh, 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 stomach and uh, thighs of brass. And then the legs of Rome, uh, uh, of iron, Rome. And... uh, And then uh, the toes and feet uh, of clay and iron representing um, some kind of a mix of authoritarianism and democracy in the last days and how it would not fit together well and and all. And, And I'm hearing these things. That's in the Bible? That's fascinating. I was just a Christian teen just getting into the Bible. And I remember I was stunned when he gave that simple presentation of Daniel too. I'd never heard that before. It amazed me. Here's something else that's amazing. There was a first century Jewish historian, uh, the first century AD, contemporary of Paul. His name was Josephus, a very respected historian. And in his Antiquities of the Jews, this is what he writes. When Alexander, meaning Alexander the Great, the great conqueror, when Alexander Invasion reached the Near East. Alexander conducted in 332 BC a Palestinian campaign. Zechariah chapter 9, 1 through 8, describes it prophetically, where he comes down and takes uh, cities in Syria, then he comes down the Mediterranean coast and takes Tyre, goes further down and knocks off Philistine cities, and then he comes north and heads right to Jerusalem, to take it and spreads terror before him. And God steps in and spares Jerusalem from Alexander's fierce invasion. And Josephus gives us this background. He says, when Alexander invaded the Near East, the Jewish high priest at the time, Yaduah, went out to meet him leading a procession to meet the conqueror as he was coming to take the city. He went out to meet him and showed him a copy of the book of Daniel in which Alexander was clearly mentioned. Alexander was so impressed by this, says Josephus, that instead of destroying Jerusalem, he entered into the city peaceably and worshiped in the temple. He is that conspicuous horn on the head of the he-goat in Daniel 8. And uh, Daniel clearly predicts the conquest of Alexander, and Alexander saw it and was amazed. By the way, Alexander saw that prophecy in 332 BC. Now remember, if Josephus is accurate, and he was an accurate historian, the liberals say Daniel wasn't written until 165 BC, but here already the book of Daniel's being shown to Alexander uh, almost two centuries earlier. And while we're on the subject of authorship, Let me just point this out briefly. The Aramaic, as well as the Hebrew in the book of Daniel, is of a much older type than that was used in the Maccabean period, like around 165, when the liberal say Daniel was written. It matches the Hebrew of Ezra in the Old Testament and something in Egypt that they found called the Elephantine papyri uh, that was found in the uh, 5th century B.C., indicating that the Hebrew and Aramaic of Daniel is a much older type, taking us back into Old Testament times, and is not something that uh, was being written like that when the liberals say the book was written in the second century BC. Now, just to give you an idea of how amazing some of these prophecies are. In Daniel 8, there is a ram that conquers furiously. He has two horns, but the one comes up last and is taller. That represents the medo persia Empire. Uh, the Medes were in power, but Cyrus the Persian conquered them, united them into the Meda-Persian Empire. It was a dual empire, but the Persian Empire was the second component and the most powerful. So it comes up after the other horn and is... Uh, taller. In ancient literature, the the Medes and Persians pictured their nation as a goat, excuse me, as a a ram. Greece pictured their nation as a goat. The goat that furiously attacks the ram and destroys it and tramples upon it. It moves so fast that it says that the feet don't even touch the ground. And the goat has great collar against the ram. And you study the history and you find out that the Persians invaded the Greeks and uh, they never gave him for it and when alexander the first king of the grecian empire got into power he never forgot what the persians tried to do to the greeks decades earlier and he had a great hatred or choler or anger and he charged at him and he he had lightning fast conquests and he just demolished the persian ram in three decisive battles between 334 and 331 bc though darius the third's army greatly outnumbered his. This is predicted. The goat destroys the Persian ram. And then when the conspicuous horn on the head of the goat is at the height of its power, the horn's broken. Alexander died at the age of 32 in the midst of uh, drunken dissipation and illness uh, in Babylon, just 32 years old. And uh, he was asked on his deathbed who will be your successor and he famously replied to the strongest. Four prominent horns come up on the head of the Grecian goat after Alexander is destroyed. They represent four generals who fought over his territory and eventually divided it up among them. The dust hadn't settled. The empire was not divided into this fourfold division until the year 301 B.C. These four horns that come up on the head of the goat after the conspicuous horn is broken represent the fourfold division of Alexander's empire. You say, why is that so amazing? This happened in 301 B.C. Daniel's giving the prophecy around 550 B.C. It shows you how amazing the Bible is. And then in chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, he tells us that when Alexander's empire is divided up, it'll go to none of his posterity. It didn't go to any of his children or grandchildren. It was fought up and divided among his generals. So this, is, this is, gives you an idea of how some amazing these prophecies are. Now, the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9, 24 through 27... This, among other things, tells us when the Messiah will come into the world. In fact, a great scholar in the early church named Jerome said, for not only did Daniel assert that the Messiah would come, a prediction common to the other prophets as well, but he also set forth the very time he would come. It's a fascinating prophecy. Now, the reasons for writing Daniel. I like what Matthew Henry says. The book was written as an encouragement to God's people to show that even when they were in captivity, God was still directing the affairs of nations in their interest. They're hurting, they're beaten up, they're in captivity, their land is desolate, their temple's burned. But Daniel was written to encourage the Jews who were in captivity that their God is in control of the nations. And even in these desperate times, he's watching over their interests and will in his good time judge his enemies and bring them back to the land and look forward to Messiah's advent. If you outline the book, there are two main approaches. You can divide the book in terms of its two main sections as far as content. Chapters 1 through 6 are history, by and large. Chapters 7 through 12 are prophecy. And so you can divide the first six chapters into history and Daniel's interaction with kings like Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and uh, Darius the Mede. And then you have four great prophetic visions in chapters 7 through 12, and the material is almost exclusively prophecy and what will happen in the future. So that's one way you can divide the book, or you can divide it linguistically. From Daniel four b second part of verse four, all the way to the end of chapter seven, 728, it's in the Aramaic language. So you would have chapter one through 2.4a, that's kind of an introduction, then 2.4b, 728 the Aramaic section that deals more with Gentiles and so you could talk about the times of the Gentiles and what will happen uh, in Gentile kingdoms and what happens uh, as Daniel interacts in a Gentile court with Nebuchadnezzar and all and then 8 through 12 are in Hebrew again but those prophecies deal more with the nation of Israel and they're written uh, in a language that uh, the Jews would understand well. But the prophecies that relate mostly and the history that relates mostly to the Gentiles are written in the international language of that day, which is Aramaic. And so you could divide it that way. I'd like to entitle the book of Daniel The Ministry and Message of the Statesman and Prophet Daniel. The Ministry and the Message of the Statesman and Prophet Daniel. Because this is what the title gives us. It tells us that There's a ministry of Daniel. But it's not just his ministry, it's his message. He predicts a lot, teaches a lot. And he is not only a statesman representing Israel's interests in a heathen court, but he's also a prophet, and Jesus referred to Daniel the prophet in Matthew 24, 15. So you put that together, and I think you could describe the book of Daniel as the ministry and the message of the statesman prophet Daniel. I think a good theme verse is 4.17. Would somebody like to read that for us? I think this would be a good theme verse for the book. And it ties into one of the favorite verses that was shared. It's a parallel verse to this. Who would like to read 4.17? Th- thank you, man. Thank you. I think Daniel 4:17 would serve as a good theme verse. And the, do you notice the words "To the intent that the living may know?" Oh, if they could only know this in Washington and in Moscow and in Tehran, "To the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men." One of my favorite uh, instances in early American history is in 1787 in Philadelphia the Continental Congress was having a terribly difficult time coming up with a constitution. They sought God and God greatly helped them through the War of Independence. But they didn't even seek God that much in prayer and they weren't getting very far and there was fighting and there was confusion coming up with a constitution. And I believe in one of the greatest moments in American history and I believe this was one of Benjamin Franklin's shining moments. Benjamin Franklin stands to the floor and he gives what I think is a terrific speech. And one of the things he says is, we sought God's face in prayer when we entered into this war and God delivered us. He says, I verily believe that God rules in the affairs of men. And he said, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, how can an empire rise without his aid? If we don't seek God in prayer and seek his face, this political experiment will succeed no better than that of the builders of Babel. It's an eloquent speech, but he he quoted from Daniel in that speech, and it helped give the world, I believe, a constitution that people are still marveling at and is the envy of the world. Now, a key word in Daniel is kingdom. It's found 57 times. And as we see what Daniel says about the kingdom, and we follow it through Bible history, it's all gonna to come to a glorious climax in Revelation eleven fifteen. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become. Amen the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I know my time is up. Let me close with this one thought. If Isaiah displays the salvation of God, if Jeremiah displays the judgment of God, if Ezekiel displays the glory of God, Daniel displays the sovereignty of God. And as Psalm one hundred three nineteen says, uh, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. And we'll read a whole lot about that as we study the book of Daniel. Thank you for listening.